If you have a Bible, I would invite you to open it to uh, Luke chapter 10. We're going to camp out um, there for a little bit this evening and uh, talk about a pretty familiar story and uh, one that uh, you may have thought about a lot as you were reading uh, in the Gospel of Luke this week, or uh, you may have discussed it in Sunday school or something like that. I know our, our class uh, talked about uh, this story from Luke chapter 10 uh, this week, and it just kind of, it was really impressed on my heart, and so a lot of good things that we've been reading in the Gospel of Luke, a lot of different things to choose from, to, to share, and, uh, and to study about, but I really just couldn't get away from uh, this encounter that Jesus has in Luke uh, chapter number 10. Now, as I was reading uh, about the, the Good Samaritan, or that parable that uh, is common there in, in Luke 10, I thought about really just kind of reflecting on when I gave my life to Jesus when I was younger. Uh, most of you can probably remember that time, or at least most of what happened, and 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 how your life kind of gradually got to a point where you knew you needed Jesus, and you know you got saved, and then started uh, walking with Jesus after that. But but for me, my experience may be similar to some of you. It may be a little bit different, but I lived in a in a really good home, and I, I've talked about this before, probably many different times. And my mom was awesome, my dad was awesome. They loved us well. Me and my two sisters, like we really did. I hear other people's stories about their home life and what it was like growing up, Christian or not Christian, and I think, man, I, I really was extremely blessed with the family that I had and with the mom and dad that I had who raised me so uh, so well. However, it wasn't a Christian home. And so even though you know we were taught right from wrong and we did occasionally uh, attend church here and there, uh, we didn't grow up with Christian values. We didn't grow up knowing about Jesus and, and, and following Jesus. My, my parents were great, but I wasn't raised uh, to walk after Christ. So instead, for me, uh, instead of my parents kind of leading me to faith in Jesus or being my heroes in the faith, I had one particular guy. I had a youth pastor uh, that really believed that God was going to do something great through my life. As a matter of fact, pretty pretty early on, he began to invest in my life, even in ways that, as I think about it now, I, I oftentimes don't even realize until I, until I really sit down and think about it. I remember my first kind of church activity that I can remember was when I was in fifth grade. Uh, I went on this camping trip uh, with a church in Laurel, and the camping trip really just consisted of older uh, kids ministry area, like older kids camping in tents in the field right next to the church. And so we were on a camping trip, but really we were pretty much camping in the fellowship hall, right? Like we weren't very far. And so maybe you've, maybe you've done some things like that, or you were a part of that when you was a kid. But I remember I was in fifth grade. It's kind of the first time that I was really at an event where the gospel was shared. But what I remember most is we weren't allowed to have sodas after five o'clock. Like after five o'clock, there were other things I'm sure that we did, but we could not have sodas because I didn't want us to stay up all night. Apparently, apparently kids aren't crazy sodas are, and what they actually discovered is sodas are not sodas. It's just kids that are crazy, right? And so, but they wouldn't give us any sodas. And my first interaction with my youth pastor, which I didn't, you know, think about at all at that time, was I'll never forget him sneaking some sodas to me and some of my buddies that were staying in the tent that we had. Or I remember back when I was early, early teenage years, not able to drive yet. But I'll never forget him putting me behind the wheel of his truck. It was a stick shift, right? It's the first time I'd ever driven anything, much less a standard. And I'll never forget him teaching me how to drive that old Chevy uh, stick shift as we were driving behind the church. And I, uh, everybody else probably thought he was a little bit crazy. Or I remember how he'd pick me up from my house and, 
and get me to church even when my parents didn't bring me, or the times that he took me out to eat or brought me to see movies or invited me to serve people as he served people or brought me to his houseboat when he taught me how to fish and how to wakeboard. He invested in my life. Now, it was years after our first encounter that I finally decided to place my faith in Jesus. It took lots of different interactions with all sorts of different people and sermons and personal time in the Scripture until I finally made the decision to surrender my life to Jesus. But when I did, that youth pastor was there every step of the way, not only leading me to that decision, but helping me to grow deeper in my faith every single day. He paid for church trips because he knew that I wouldn't get to go if he didn't pay for them. I remember when I moved to another state, he would buy me plane tickets throughout the year so that I could fly back home and go on church trips with my home church. Uh, he bought me my first study Bible. He asked me uh, questions about my faith that led me to eventually surrender to serving in ministry. He let me preach my very first sermon. And let me tell you something. That was a serious act of trust. All right, It was atrocious. But... He let me. Why? Because he invested in me. When I got to college, he opened up his house. He let me uh, live with him so that I could continue to chase the dream that God had for my life. As a matter of fact, his name's Troy Hobson. But because of Troy and his generosity, he's still what I consider to be my youth minister. He's still my greatest mentor to this day. I talked to him on the phone actually just earlier this afternoon. And because of him and his generosity... I'm standing before you right now as the pastor of First Baptist Church, Sotilla. I truly believe I would not be where I am or the man that I am or the follower of Jesus that I am today if it was not for the investment that he placed in my life. Now, I know as I'm saying this, there are probably many different people who are popping in your mind or many people who are sitting in this room, right? There are people throughout the years that you know invested in you in a way that really has impacted you and changed your life forever. And I know for me, because someone was so generous, it makes me too want to have that kind of generosity toward other people. Now, if you're in here in the room tonight and you think, I never had that, or I don't know that I've ever had anyone show me that kind of generosity or invest in me that much, I would first of all remind you of what Jesus has done. This is John 3.16. Most of us know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know what God did? He gave. Beautiful picture of his generosity and investment in you and in me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, without Jesus, none of us would be where we are right now. If his generosity is not enough to move us to be generous to other people, if his investment, if what he laid down is not enough to push us to do the same thing, then I would ask you this question, friends. What will? What will push us to that kind of generosity if what Jesus has done is not enough? Here's what I truly believe. I believe that Christians should be the most generous people in the world because of how generous God has been to us. I think generosity is such a big deal because it goes hand in hand with love. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus shows us from this encounter in Luke chapter 10. I want to read it really quick, and then I want us to walk through a couple of things that 
I know as I've wrestled with this text has been extremely impactful for me and how I look at things around me every single day. So I'm going to start reading Luke chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse number 25. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. He's putting Jesus to the test, which many people, by the way, in the Gospels will try to do, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Jesus, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Here's Jesus. You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. I love what happens next. The intensity ramps up in a hurry. Verse 29. But he, we're going back to the lawyer now, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, by the way, how many of us have been in that moment, right? Trying to justify ourselves. Let me make this comment on my behalf. Let me look. Make, let me make me look a little bit better. Let me give you an excuse or or an example or whatever you know. Whatever I need to do. Let me tell you this story about how I'm better. Let me let me justify me for a moment. Right. That's where the lawyer is in this moment. Here's what he says: Desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, "And who is my neighbor?" And Jesus replied. Here's where the story begins. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road. Now, I think it's interesting, this word chance, right? By chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Didn't want anything to do with him, did he? So likewise, there it is again, by chance, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by... On the other side, once again, wanted nothing to do with him. But a Samaritan, this is where it starts getting interesting. Not the priest, not the Levite, a Samaritan. That wicked, despised, no good, can't be better than me, worthless Samaritan. That's who Jesus highlights for a moment. As he journeyed, talking about the Samaritan, came to where he was, that guy who's been beaten by the robbers. He came to where that guy was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. His heart was broken. He cared. He loved. He wanted to do something, felt something. So verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? This is Jesus, right? Here's this beautiful story. Not the priest, not the Levite. A Samaritan went out of his way. And then Jesus, knowing exactly what he was doing, knowing exactly what the lawyer would say, who, by the way, is a smart guy. He's understanding what's happening at this point, right? Looks at the guy and says, okay, after this story, who do you think was a neighbor to this man? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, let's just spend a little bit of time with this story tonight because I think it's extremely impactful with how we can relate to people in our world today. As a matter of fact, I really can't get away from this last phrase that Jesus made. 
you go and do likewise. By the way, this is not the only time that Jesus will say go. There are other times in the gospel that Jesus will command us to go. And every time it has to do with us loving people as we love ourselves. Will we go? Will we do likewise? Will we live like Jesus? Now, this is a familiar account in the Gospel of Luke. Most of you have read this and have even probably heard it preached better than I will do tonight. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to notice, just kind of quickly, three main attitudes that are expressed in this text tonight. And there's still three attitudes that we choose to express on a daily basis. Here's the first attitude I want you to see. It's kind of simple. It's the what's yours is mine type of attitude. Now, who do you think had this attitude in the story? The robbers. Thank you, somebody, right? The robbers had the what's yours is mine. Why did they have that? They beat up the guy, took everything he had, and went on about their own way, right? This is the type of attitude in the world that says, I didn't work for it, I didn't earn it, I may not deserve it, but I'm entitled to it because if I want it, it should be mine. This is the what's yours is mine type of attitude. Let me show you another attitude that's expressed in this story. It's the what's mine is mine type of attitude. This is the type of attitude that probably we know a little bit more about in our own society today. This is the stingy attitude of the priest and the Levite. Now, it's not wrong. They did work for what they had. They did do all they could do to earn it. They did get to a place where they had more than what they need. They did a lot of good things. They're not horrible people. But you know what they decided? They decided that because you didn't work for it, because you're unfortunate, because you probably put yourself in that situation, what's mine is going to remain mine. Sorry, hope someone else passes down the road. I'm not giving it to you. What's mine is mine. Now, there's a third one. Of course, we always sit on the third one, right? It's the what's mine is yours type of attitude. Now, you say, Danny, who displayed this type of attitude? Well, this is where the Samaritan comes into play, right? He didn't have any connection with this guy who fell among the robbers. He didn't have to take the time to go to him. He didn't have to generously do anything. He had what he had because he had earned it and worked for it. But he did not think that when he saw someone who was less fortunate than himself. What he thought was, what's mine is yours. I have it, but you need it. Therefore, since the Lord has blessed me with it, I will bless you. This is the what's mine is yours type of attitude. Now, if you're with me in the room tonight, and maybe you're not, you may not be where I'm at after I process through this story, but here's what I did. I don't want the attitude of the robbers. I never want to be the one that takes from someone else or thinks that I'm entitled or deserve or it should just be mine because I want it. I also don't want to be the stingy Levite or priest. Doesn't mean I'm going to give everything to the detriment of my own family, but if I've been given much, I want to bless others as the Lord has blessed me. I don't want those two types of attitudes. I want the what's mine is yours, good Samaritan, love your neighbor as yourself type of attitude, which left me to this question. 
How can I have that type of attitude? You say, Danny, that type of generosity is tough. I don't want to give what I have. I've done everything I can to get it. You don't understand what I came from. If I give it all away, I'm going to go back to that. I don't want to do that. Okay. I'm not saying you have to. Matter of fact, this discussion is not between you and me at all. This discussion is between you and Jesus. You and him hash that out. Okay. But here's what I know for me after I wrestled with this. How can I have that type of attitude? And so tonight I want to do something kind of unique. I want to take the word need. And from this story, I want to build a little, a little acrostic with it. And I want to show you how we can flip that word from being a selfish word of my needs and how can somebody help me and how can my needs be met. What if we flip that a little bit and instead of asking how can my needs be met, what if instead the word need became less about me and more about others? What if it became about how I can generously use my resources, my time, my money, my stuff, my abilities, my whatever else God has graciously given me? What if the word need becomes how I can meet the needs across the world for other people? As a matter of fact, I want you to think about this final question that the lawyer asked of Jesus when talking to him. He said, Luke 10, 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And by the way, Jesus about to get real specific about who your neighbor is and what it looks like to be neighborly. When I worked at Pedal Harvey, I got one of my old buddies here. His name's Hayden. Hayden, I won't embarrass you, but Hayden, everybody look at him. All right. Hayden's here tonight. He's working in town. I'm glad he's hanging out. I don't know why, of all the things he could be doing, he's decided to come here and listen to me. But he's here. All right, so that's all right. Maybe we'll, I'll try to see what's wrong with him later. But nonetheless, when I worked at Pedal Harvey, which is where me and Hayden met each other, when I first got there, we had a middle school pastor there named Clark. Oh, Clark. Actually, Clark would never listen to a podcast by me, so it doesn't matter. But anyway, uh, Clark was older than me, been in youth ministry for years and years. Matter of fact, while I was there, he finished his PhD in youth ministry. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, there aren't many guys in the world who have a PhD doctorate in youth ministry, but he does, all right? But I'll never forget, it was one of my earliest staff meetings at Petal Harvey. Now, Petal Harvey's larger church, uh, 10, 10, 12 people around the table for our staff meetings, a uh, lot, lot of different ministry areas, a lot of people trying to coordinate things together, but I'll never forget, it was one of my early staff meetings, and I was confused about something that was asked of me. I think it had something to do with vacation Bible school. I wasn't really sure what the youth pastor or the high school pastor's part was in the children's ministry. And so when they said something about something that was going on with BBS, I just was curious, does that mean me? And so I kind of, I didn't raise my hand, I guess. I just blurted out, which, by the way, is typical of what I do. So that's not abnormal. But I just blurted out, well, what does that mean for me? Like, do I need to serve at VBS? Do I, do I got to be at every, you know, session? Am I supposed, like, what's the requirement for me? And, I, you know, pastor went in, talked about everything I needed to do, checklist, expectations, got it, I know. But after that meeting, Clark came up to me and he said, Danny, you did something you never need to do. And I said, what's the problem, Clark? He said, you asked them to tell you what you needed to do. And I said, well, I needed to know. I wanted to know the expectations. And Clark reminded me of something. I thought it was interesting because here's what this guy does. He makes a grave mistake. Clark said, if you just leave it general, then you can tell them later that you didn't know that's what you were supposed to do. <laughs> I didn't know. You didn't explain that to me. All right. But because I asked 
Now we all knew what we had to do for vacation Bible schools. They were a little mad at me. That's what this guy does. He should have never asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Because guess what? Now he's stuck because Jesus is about to hit him with what it really means to be a neighbor to somebody else. And that's exactly what I want us to see over the next few minutes tonight. I'm going to use the word need. Let me show you how we can shift how we look at that word uh, for the people around us. Here's the first one, the N. Notice problems. What if needs for us were highlighted, not by our own selfishness or what we need, but by noticing problems around us? This is what happens with the Good Samaritan. Back in verse 33, it highlights him. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, you don't have to go very far uh, 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 outside of these walls to find problems that other people are facing. They're all around us. You don't have to go on an overseas mission trip. You don't have to travel halfway across the world. You don't have to go to th some third world country or build a well or provide food to the, to the starving. You can do all those things. But you ain't got to go very far down the road to find hurting people who have needs, who have problems. In fact... We're not any different than the Samaritan. It's interesting that it highlights as he journeyed. You say, Danny, why is that interesting? Because in other words, as he lived out his normal everyday life, he encountered a need that someone else had. He wasn't going somewhere special. He wasn't doing something unique. This was an ordinary day, traveling the same path he'd been traveling, going to do probably what he did yesterday, but in this case, as he journeyed, he found a need. Now, here's what I know. I think it's easy for us to miss opportunities to help people when they're in need because typically, this is for me, I'm so wrapped up in my own life that I don't care enough to notice others. As a matter of fact, a lot of times I'm thinking about all the problems that I have, right? I ain't got time to help you with your problems. I got my own problems I got to deal with. And I don't typically notice because I'm wrapped up in me what's happening around me. Now, it could be that we're too busy with other things and we don't have time to help anybody. It could be that uh, we, we can't actually help with the problem that someone else is facing. We feel inadequate or we really don't know how to help them. could just be that we're selfish and we really don't see anyone else's problems because all we see is our own. I know that these are true of me. I get busy with my family, I get busy with my job, I get busy with my hobbies, that I don't see the hurt, I don't see the problems, I don't see the struggles of others. But there are people that God is placing in front of me and in front of you so that we can help them. And God is placing those people there as we journey so that we can have an impact on the world. The question is, do you notice? Now, don't forget in the story, the Samaritan's not the only one who passes this guy on the road. He's not the only one who has the opportunity to notice a need and to meet a need. We encounter two other people, right? A priest, which it's highlighted by chance. I always think that's kind of funny. A priest going down the road when he saw him pass by on the other side. A Levite, similar to a priest or a temple worker, does the same thing. Both of these guys would be highly respected. These are the guys that we think would show this type of love and this type of compassion. But guess what? 
They don't. They both pass by on the other side of the road. Now, I want you to sit in something for a moment. I don't think this means that the priest is a bad guy. As a matter of fact, I'm sure he didn't spend his evenings killing people for fun. Here's what else I know. The Levite's probably not a bad guy. I'm sure of his list of fun activities, there's not one that says torturing small children. All right, That's not the character of these two guys. They're not the people that we think of that are just bad, horrible people. They're not. You know what they are? They're good, average Americans. That's what they are. They're good people who work hard, who make a living, who love their family, who serve at the temple, who go to church. They love their community. They're good, outstanding citizens. Guess what they do? They walk by on the other side of the road. Their focus was on the wrong things in life. As a matter of fact, Jesus mentions this in the very next chapter, in Luke chapter 11. He talks about the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the Levites, the, 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 the priests. He talks about how strict they were about keeping certain laws and rules, but they neglected what God desired from them most. Here's what Jesus said, Luke chapter 11, 42 through 44. Just listen to this. You read it this week. It was in our reading, but I, I want to remind it to you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. I don't know about you, but these are the good guys. And Jesus says, woe to you. Why? Because they were out killing people? No. Because they're drug dealers? No. He says, because they missed it by focusing on the wrong thing. They didn't notice the needs right in front of their faces because they were so concerned about themselves. Now, I don't know about you, but I can totally relate to the priest and the Levite. I've noticed problems that I've looked you know, past before as well. I've noticed problems that if it was me, I passed by on the other side of the road as well. For whatever reason, not that I'm... Not that I'm just the worst person in the world, although I, I get close at times. Whatever the case is, I've decided to not get involved in someone else's problems. It was easier to ignore them than to help. This is when you see somebody who needs something and your thought instantly goes to, just don't make eye contact, right? Just look the other way. And the, the light will turn green. We'll get to keep moving. I won't actually have to have a conversation with them, right? This is that moment of looking the other way. Now, maybe you're thinking, Danny, I haven't encountered a man half dead lying on the side of the road. If that happened to me, if I encountered a man laying half dead on the side of the road, I would help him too. And here's what I would hope. Maybe you're right. I hope that you would help the man who's lying half dead on the side of the road. But one of the biggest needs in our world today is mentioned by Jesus in John chapter 4, verse 35. Here's what he says. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Can I tell you something? You may not be walking past the man who's left half dead on the side of the road, but I wonder how many people we walk by every single day who really are dead in their sins and trespasses, and we don't even take half a second to tell them about the hope that they have in Jesus. 
Can I tell you something? You know what we do? We pass by on the other side of the road. Listen to how Paul makes clear the judgment of people who don't know Jesus in 2 Thessalonians. Listen to these words. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Listen. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. I don't care how much you hate somebody. There's no way you would ever want them to be condemned to this type of eternity. But yet even the people that are closest to us, we walk by every single day. This is the fate of those who don't know Jesus. Listen, according to a basic Google searching, 31% of the world's population identifies as Christian. And to be honest, this number is probably actually lower than that in reality. That means according to the most recent estimates on the world's population that almost 5.5 billion people don't know Jesus. Please show me a greater need than that one. The biggest problem the world is facing is they're lost without Jesus. However, we have the answer and His name is Jesus. If we're going to be people that are generous as God is generous with us, we have to notice the problems that other people need help with. Notice problems. Let me move to the E. kind of sat there for a little bit. I apologize. The first E in the word need moves from notice problems to embrace compassion. Samaritan's journey and he got to where the guy was and he had compassion. And I want you to see this in verse 34. He went to him. That's the process that happens for the Samaritan. For the one who shows compassion, the priest walked on the other side, the Levite walked on the other side. However, the Samaritan had compassion and went to him. He was moved to the point of action. He felt the need to do something. Now listen, this should sound extremely familiar for those of us who have read through the gospel accounts. This having compassion or being moved with compassion or feeling pity, this should be common language for us because this isn't the first time we experience it. You know who else does this? Jesus does this. Listen to these verses. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. How about this one? And Jesus, in compassion, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed Him. Or what about this one? Moved with compassion, He stretched out His hand and touched Him and said to Him, I will be clean. Or what about this one? And when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her and said, Do not weep. You know who else felt compassion and was moved by it? His name was Jesus. And by the way, That compassion has revealed itself in the fact that you know Him. He didn't have to do what He did for you and for me. He felt compassion. He was compelled by the glory of God to step down and give everything for us. If that's His compelling, why would we not want to embrace compassion like Jesus? You know what Jesus did when He saw the sin of the world? He went to us. You know what this guy did? He went to this guy. He helped. He embraced His compassion. How many of you in the room remember a song? It's not, it's not too old. It's by Matthew West called Do Something. Anybody remember that song? 
used to play a lot. I hadn't heard it as much. In the song, he talks about some bad things that happen in the world. I'll, I'll give you a few things. He talks about people living in poverty. Um, he talks about children living in slavery. And as he's thinking about the bad things that are happening in the world, his response to the brokenness is this. He shook his fist to heaven. That was his response. He, I don't know if that's really bad. I guess I'll take it back. But he shook his fist to heaven. And here's what he said. God why don't you do something? And you remember in the song, here's what he, he, he followed up with. And God said, I did, right? I did do something. I created you. <laughs> he said, hey, what does that have to do with me? When we see the brokenness in our world, when we notice the needs of people around us, when we see those who are lying half dead on the side of the road, whether it's literal or whether it's in sin, however you want to see it, when we notice those needs, we must embrace compassion the same way that Jesus did. Why? Because He put those before us. You know how Paul talked about compassion? His description of love in 1 Corinthians 13 is a beautiful one. As a matter of fact, before you get to the one that's read at weddings and stuff like that, which is beautiful if it was read at your wedding, um, that's great. Not necessarily talking about that kind of love, so, you know, whatever, but still beautiful. You know what I'm saying? Here's what he says before that. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3. Listen to these words. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. That is the power of love. That is the power of compassion. Listen to me. Do you notice problems? And if you do, will you embrace compassion? Let me move on. Let me show you this one. I promised myself we would get out of here before 50 minutes tonight, so I'm working on it, all right? Notice problems. That's the end. The first E, embrace compassion. Here's the 30. Extend help, right? That's just the logical next step. I see it. God moves my heart to compassion, so I go to what that is. Look back at verse 34, Luke 10. He went to him, talking about the Samaritan, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He did all this out of his own. He cared for this guy. He extended help at some point. We've got to do something. It's great to notice it. It's great to be heartbroken over it. But that means nothing if we do nothing. At some point, we've got to extend help. We actually have to give so that others can gain. This is exactly what happens. I, I thought of all kinds of examples of different people and, and, and situations that we encounter and things that we can do. And I, I'll be honest, i got a list, but I, I'm, I'm, I don't really care about it. Because I don't know what kind of things you see every day. As you journey and the people that you cross and the opportunities that you have, I don't know what those look like for you. I only know what they look like for me. And what I know is, is that just seeing them and feeling bad about them is not enough. At what point will we be like Jesus? I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but you go and do likewise. That was his final words. Hey, lawyer, that was tricky. That was cute. Way to try to get me on that one. <laughs> Let me really get you with this Samaritan guy. You ready? You go be like the Samaritan that you despise. You go and do likewise. Will you love people like this guy loves 
people. The Samaritan stopped what he was doing. He helped this man in need. Can I tell you something? It wasn't the easiest thing he could do. It wasn't the most convenient thing he could do, but he did it. I don't know if you think about this. Maybe you think the priest had more important things to do, or the Levite was was late for a meeting that was going to change the world. Maybe you think the Samaritan had nothing better to do, so it was easier for him to take time out of his day and do what he was doing. No, that guy was headed somewhere. He was doing a, it was a regular day. He had a place to be. He had things to do. But he stopped. Even though it wasn't easiest, even though it wasn't most convenient, he did it. Time was used. Money was used. Resources was used. Someone was helped. Can I tell you something, friends? I'm so thankful for the numerous people over the years who have sacrificed for me. wasn't easy for them. wasn't convenient for them. wasn't cheap for them. As a matter of fact, as I get older and as I deal more and more with, with, with young people and now dealing more and more with my own kids, can I just tell you something? How ungrateful, how disrespectful I was at times, how much I took for granted what other people sacrificed for me to be able to do what I was doing. They loved me enough to provide. James says it like this, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Good luck, buddy. Praying for you. Hope it works out. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? It's not, right? Might make you feel better, but it's not good. Now listen, the Samaritan went even further. Back to verse 35. And the next day, he took out two denarii, which by the way are two days worth of wages. And he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. In other words, listen, he was willing to do whatever he had. This was everything he had. You know, if he would have had more denarii, guess what? He would have gave the innkeeper those denarii. I don't even know if I'm saying that properly. This was all he had. He said, take it. Use it. This guy needs it much more than I do. He extends help. Listen, will you notice needs? Will you embrace compassion? Will you extend help? Let me show you this last one. Will you display Jesus? And what if this is the way we thought about needs? Notice problems, embrace compassion, extend help, display Jesus. Say, Dave, what do you mean? Love it. Talked about it already. Not going to get away from it. He goes back at the end of the story, Jesus, verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? I just, I, I love when Jesus brings it all back home, right? Like you may be reading some story in the Gospels, you're thinking, Jesus, what are you talking? And then, oh, right, there it is. Who do you think? Jesus doesn't even have to answer the question. He gets this guy to answer his own question, right? Who do you think? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Hey, friends, can I tell you something? Our God is a generous God. If you don't know it, let me just help you see it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. For God so loved the world that he gave. His only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Can I ask you something? If Jesus was walking down the street and you were beat up by robbers and left half dead, do you think 
He's going to walk by on the other side of the street. You think that's what Jesus is going to do? You think that's going to be His response to your brokenness? When He found you in the mess that you were and did not leave you there, do you think that's how Jesus would respond? No, no. let me give you a picture of it. This is from Ezekiel chapter 34. Listen to this. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on the rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. You know what he says? I will give you the best that there is. I will give the innkeeper whatever it takes. I will go to the very gates of hell and I will say, it is finished. Why? Because that's how generously and graciously our God loves us. You think Jesus would walk by on the other side of the street? Of course not. Well, then can I ask you this, friends? Ultimately, don't we want to show that same Jesus to the world? Don't we want the broken and the messy and the hurtful? Don't we want them to see who Jesus is? Man, He's loving, He's caring, He's compassionate. He is a generous God who loves them and cares for them. If we say that we know God and treat people poorly, what does that say about our God? What if we would show the example of Jesus and be generous with our time and with our resources and with our abilities? Will you notice needs? Will you embrace compassion? Will you extend help? Will you display Jesus? If we want to have a what's mine is yours attitude toward life, then we certainly need to change the way we think about the word need. Instead of thinking about need as something that someone can do for you, maybe we can start thinking about the word need as the acrostic that we've made tonight. To notice problems, embrace compassion, extend help, display Jesus. What if the word need became less about you and more about others? You say, Danny, how do I get there? Ask Him. He'll help you. Ask Him to show you needs tomorrow. Ask Him how you can extend help to them, how you can embrace compassion. Ask them how you can display Jesus. Ask Him. He will show you. He will break your heart. He will move you. What if tomorrow your focus was seeing things through the lens of Jesus, rather than yourself? What if needs was more about the world and how God could use you to meet them than it was about yourself? Can I tell you something? Can I challenge you with something? What if we did what Jesus said? What if we would just go and do likewise?